Hello there, everybody. Sean Sheehan here. And before we get uh, started with the podcast with Andrew and Graham and myself and Graham's podcast, so this is a it's a really fun one. We just uh, we just have um, we just recorded it, but I'm doing this uh, this read here. Uh, and before I must tell you, this podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Hey, fellas, this episode of the Sphere Man Podcast is brought to you by our favorite producers of ball troopers, Manscaped. Join the global leaders in below the waist grooming and leaving 2021 behind and entering 2022 with a clear mind and clean balls and get 20% off with the promo code severemanscape.com and free shipping as well 2022 is on its way and the last thing you want to be is the guy with pubes uh, getting in your way so this year make your best year 2021 sucked and that's why Manscaped are making a splash and upping your grooming game the performance package 4.0 headlined by their signature lawnmower 4.0 is here to take down every pube in its path manscaped engineering uh they've engineered even the uh, the ultimate groin and body trimmer to focus on ten- intelligent functionality and incredibly comfortable grooming experience a fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology and it's waterproof as well so you can use it in the shower this tool is amazing and i'm confident using the 4.0 to leave 2021 and my gross pubes with it also also included the weed whacker nose and ear hair trimmer to whack every hair up top and feel good while doing it also included crop preserver and crop reviver the anti-chafing ball deodorant moisturizer and toner uh this hygiene bundle will come with a pair of manscaped anti-chafing boxers that'll keep your junk feeling fresh all day the perfect package for your perfect package going into 2022 i'm confident about smelling like a million bucks you may be asking how and i'm happy you did i use manscaped refined cologne with the same signature scent that man uh, that's in all manscaped formulations a great compliment to your collection Uh, use the promo code severe may for 20 percent off and free shipping at manscaped.com promo code severe may 20% 20% off free shipping. I'm all in on confidence and smelling good this year. Join me with Manscaped. So let's say it again. Use the promo code SEVEREMMA. Get 20% off and free shipping over at manscaped.com. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to your balls. Graham, take it away. I'm here with Andrew McGahan and Sean Sheehan for the 10, year, uh, 10 years of SEVERE anniversary podcast. Uh, Andrew, it's been a while since you've been on. How have you been doing? What, what have you been up to recently? I've been fine. I've been training away. To answer your question, Graham, is it a poo from The Simpsons? Thank you. Come again. No, no, it's not. No, no. Maybe somebody All else right, will okay. know. Yes, All right. Yes, never mind. And yeah, before I've, we started recording there. Like, yeah, before yeah. we started. <laughs> no, I, I Googled it for you. And the only thing that came up was a poo uh, from The Simpsons. Thank you. Come again. But I've been fine. I've been training, training away, doing jujitsu twice a day, teaching uh, teach seven classes a week between Monday and Friday now. Between sure, you, the and sure, you must be a black belt at this stage, isn't it? No, nearly, Graham. Nearly. That's <laughs> I promise now we wouldn't be mean, Graham. Now let's look, let's start this in a good yeah. way. Now. <laughs> and we're throwing bigs. I like. I'm. I'm a brown belt. As of now, I'm a brown belt. But we'll see. Sure, we'll we, next. sure. Sean will tell you anyway. Did you see? Doesn't work. So uh, you know. Uh, it's been proven. He, he t- changed his tone after the weekend. <laughs> he changed his tone after the weekend. I think there's been five submissions this year with uh, in championship fights. So I've been sorely wrong, but I did change my tone like halfway through the year, and now I've been kind of proven right. 
Does that make sense? So jujitsu working again, <laughs> proven proven me right. I'll, but I'll yeah, I'll uh, I'll, I'll argue yeah. that anyway. That'd be great. So, so that so that kind of is how you got into MMA anyway, Andrew. You kind of started as a jujitsu a jujitsu guy and started. It was um, I st- I I remember. I rem- I know you you love throwing a shade in your recent ten years of severe towards the poorly irregularly updated fight hounds. So I was saying about how I was listening to your one with Pendred and you were saying about how you got started because fight hounds was only updated every once in a while. So you couldn't find out anything about well, the local scene. I was just kind of giving them a shout out that they were the only kind of ones that were around, but you At know, the time. it's hard to, okay. it takes a lot of dedication to kind of follow the, the scene properly. And you know, it takes, yeah. It takes so the team. guy, the guy who was doing that, I think at the time, like had a full-time job and a family. So he was only actually doing it like as a, as a side thing, like as a hobby. But I started on a yeah, tr- Trust you to, to, to put it, take a shout out and turn it into shade. Fuck's sake. Well, Andrew <laughs> sorry McGann, trying that. to stir up sorry. controversy. Uh, no, I'm the, definitely The Irish Alwani from Craggy Island. We've, we've done enough of that over the years, but I got, um, I remember being on boards.ie on the MMA forum and they were like, oh, we're looking for someone to join our community MMA radio show. And I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. And it was being done in Dundalk FM, which is a community station. So it was two lads that had a, a podcast years ago called Punching and Crunching. And they used to go around to local gyms and talk to fighters. And I started off with them in like March when I was still in school. And then March 2010, and then I went to... Uh, then I went to Cage Contender, but because I had been posting on boards, Paul Kauser was the moderator of the MMA forum on boards.ie back then. And he said, what would you know about MMA if you don't train? You don't fight. Why would you talk about this sport? You know nothing. And I was like, oh, that like, maybe that's a fair point. Like, maybe I should start jujitsu. And I just looked up jujitsu and an MMA gym had opened in Dundalk that summer. So the first, the day of the first ever event that I went to was the same day I started jiu-jitsu. It was Cage Contender 5, the 24th of July, 2010. And can you remember the kind of first event you went to and covered uh, as a kind of media member? Yeah, that was it. That was the, I went, the, we got credentials because of the, the radio show. So those lads were going to it. So I went up to that. It was Cahill Pendred versus Liam Shannon. Um, Norman Park fought on the card. Miles Price fought on the card. Uh, those it was mad, like the amount of names that went on to like decent careers and stuff that were on those early cage contender cards. All that we did was just sit cage side. We didn't didn't do any interviews. We sat there, watched the fights, and then did a like, talk about it. It's terrible. That's it. That, that's that's all we were after, and then talked about it on the show um, the next week. But I thought it was mad. Uh, no, actually. I, I flew on my holidays. My mom and dad at the time delayed the family holiday so that I could go to that MMA show. The way you said that, like my, my mother and father at the time, <laughs> they're now no longer. Yeah, they're they're no longer my mother and father. I'm emancipated. No, but they, uh, they yeah, because I was still a kid and they put, put back the, the holiday for until the next morning. So when I was flying out of Dublin airport the next morning, I met Paul McVeigh coming through security with his cage contender belt and I went up to him and I just said oh I was at the show last night I really enjoyed it I thought it was class he won the cage contender flyweight title or something uh on on that day so he was like he was probably the was probably the only person to stop 
an Irish MMA fighter going through an airport after they'd won a domestic title at the time. But I just, I, I like, I was going away on holidays buzzing, thinking like, Jesus, I'm after meeting Paul McVeigh. Like I'm after meeting the cage contender champion, you know? And I just thought it was class. And obviously, uh, it was, a, it was probably, when was that? That was a couple of years before, a year or two before uh, we kind of showed up. Was it? I think, I think the first time that I met you was, I think the first time I met you was at Roddy and Googerty. I think that might have been the first. I think maybe you had been at like a Man of War event just before that or something like that. I think in like in my head, you, 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 Gavin Paddy started in like late 2011. That's what was in my head about it. And then there, there was like huge gaps sometimes between cage contender events. So I can remember that the, I think there might have been uh, Gunnar Nelson. Uh, I might have met you for the first time actually at Gunnar Nelson versus Batenko. And I think that mm. was early on in 2012. And oh, then you yeah. started 10,000 hours leading up to the June or July card, which was Roddy Googerty and Paddy Schenkov. Um, but I did, I could be getting, I, I remember at that time, Fight Hounds had stopped and I was doing it for that website, Jason Furness's website at the time, yourmma.tv, which was like a UK-based uh, promotion. And I can remember doing something there. I, I even think that the first time I interviewed Connor was after he won the the first title, the 145 title at that June card. And there's an audio interview on YouTube for Your MMA TV talking to Conor McGregor at Cage Warriors 47. It only has like 800 views or something on it, even still. And then I met you at Cage Contender. And then Karen Marr recorded two video interviews for me that night, one with Roddy and one with Paddy Houlihan. Yeah, I remember the Paddy Houlihan one was kind of up at the top of the stairs. You were kind of just in the corner there. And I think yeah, I, I was chatting to you a little basketball. bit. Yeah, the basketball. I think I was chatting to you briefly afterwards, but we were kind of running around and stuff. Yeah, and you had said to me, you're like, oh, well, here, why, why don't the next time like you just do it for us? because like we're going to be covering this and like if you want to do the video interviews like just do it with us and it's like you're kind of like why you should well you weren't saying you shouldn't be but you were just saying like that's like an english website that covers english mma so like why not just do like an irish website that covers irish mma didn't graham once pretend as well, <laughs> uh, that you weren't on camera and he actually videoed you on camera and didn't put it up yes yeah <laughs> that's how he yeah that's it so that was then was the following really nervous. contender event and he yeah. was really <laughs> nervous he was like no i can't i can't i can't and i was like sure just do your thing and i'll just film the the fighter or john Kavanaugh or whoever it was the first one we did and uh you were like, oh, okay, okay, okay. So I just set up the shot with both of you in it. <laughs> and you, you didn't have a clue. So you were comfortable, so I, think, I think, because you didn't, have, I think, didn't know you were on camera. <laughs> I think it was just because the way that Karen at the time had been doing like stuff for, Karen has always been like a video guy for like, like news stations over here and stuff like that. So there would never be like a correspondent on camera with the person when they're doing something for the news. So that was the way that he shot the, the interviews with Paddy and Owen. And then you were just like, oh, no, no, you won't be on it. Don't worry, you won't be on it. But I, you still made me stand beside them. <laughs> I was thinking like, wait a minute, what's happening here? I think on some of those interviews, though, like I'm like half in it, like in terms of like, that's probably something that I would always remember about maybe getting good at framing interviews because of you saying like how you should frame an interview with the, the, the people just like 
space in the middle and just one person one side one person the other side because those ones there was like a big gaping space to the left and i was like at the very corner of the shot and then the person was just beside me but it was yeah, like on that yeah, card sure. that was I that was a- the I didn't have a clue what I was doing back then. Like we, it, we didn't have a light, so we had to do it under this kind of light in the hallway. But then people kept yeah. walking by and like walking into the shot and trying to talk to the fighters as we were doing the interview. And it was it was an absolute disaster. All of those really, ones, but. all of those ones are on like the old the your old severe account that's still on YouTube, and it's like John Kavanagh, Gunnar Nelson, John Ferguson, Arnie Isaacson, Alan Philpot, Stephen McComb. And maybe like one or two other people. I think we only interviewed the main card of people who were on that thing that night. And I remember John made me mad nervous the first time I was talking to him because he's like, oh, you're Andrew McGahan. And I was just like, uh, yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah, no, I've heard a bit about you. Because uh, I was in college that year in Dublin. And I think I was training already in the city center gym or I was like friendly with Joey Breslin or friendly with Richie Crosdale or Carl Redmond. Because earlier that year was the first time I went to the Europeans, which was in January 2020 or 2012. And I, no one went to the Europeans back then from Ireland, very few people. So we would all like from different gyms stay together. So like me and my coach Seb stayed in an apartment with like Tom King, Joey Breslin, Richie Crosdale, Richard Gorey, um, Paul Fox, a guy called Camille, um, Carl Redmond. So like John was aware of me as such. And then it was like, oh, this guy, oh, who's this guy? He's like, oh, you're Andrew McGann. And I was just kind of like, oh, off to a great start. <laughs> yeah, well, I suppose you were very young at the time and uh, you'd never really done that thing before. So it'd be natural to be nervous for anybody, I suppose. But uh, can you remember, Sean, when you kind of first saw some of the kind of severe MMA stuff or the videos or any of Andrew's interviews or were you just kind of at this stage purely... UFC guy. I was yeah, I was purely UFC guy. That's it. I remember once I went, like I, I used to be on the the UG and the forums and stuff, like looking at uh, you know, talking about the UFC and all before I heard anything about Irish MMA. The first Irish MMA fighter I ever heard of was Brian Moore because one of my friends is from Wexford and Brian Moore used to play hurling and football and stuff. And he's like, "Oh, do you know Brian Moore? He's from you know, he's, he's a fighter and all." I was like, "Oh yeah, well uh, yeah." So that was the only uh, name I knew. I remember I went on, um. I went down to UG once and I put up, it's probably still there, you know, and I put up like, um, you know, a trade. It's like, is there any Irish MMA websites? And, you know, I think, I'm pretty sure it was Alan Murphy uh, replied and he goes, powerhouse, <laughs> you know, MMA or whatever. And I went and looked at that. I did someone else put up severe MMA in the, uh, in the trade. So I went and looked severe MMA. I think it was literally, it was the very early days of severe, severe MMA. Already, like, it could have been like severe MMA could have, appeared as that thread was going along like uh, genuinely because that time you know you come back every week and you look at the thread you could be looking at it for six months like uh so i was it was around that time and um you know didn't obviously we were, <laughs> we were all i suppose lucky to hit it at the right time but yeah i for years even when i started with severe man so i was very much away from irish MMA and letting you do that thing and you know i know we'll get into it later on about the kind of the team we had and the way we did things but um yeah, look, look, you know, having gone back and looked at all of those interviews that Andrew did, or looked at some of them as they were going along, you know, in the late days, I suppose, of McGregor in in Cage Warriors and the early days of signing for the UFC and obviously Pindred and all of them in, in Cage Warriors, it, they were fantastic, you know. And we we said a lot, Graham, I suppose, on the podcast. But credit to especially the two of you because getting uh, uh, getting people on camera, getting people's face out there, and we talk about the podcast and stuff, uh, I suppose, and stuff starting it on, but getting to people's like personality out there i think is a massive 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 thing 
and the fact that I think we're still doing that to this day but you were doing that when you didn't know what you were doing like you know it was it was fantastic so credit to you but uh, yeah, I, I remember watching like like you couldn't forget that interview you did with Connor with the banana and all of that and I'm sure with, maybe that's a, a little bit later you want to talk about more so the two of you talk away but yeah I, 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 I do remember those those early interviews seeing them and when I kind of found the channel I went back and watched uh, lots of them at the time and you know they were great stuff and it was great to see someone doing it the right way like the two of you were doing it at the time yeah, it, I, it, it seemed to me at the time, probably to Andrew as well, I don't know, but it seemed like a really, a year a year or two after we kind of got the team together of, of McGahan and myself and Pete we it kind of seemed to take off really quickly and it seemed like there was real progress being made and the the interest was, was definitely like noticeably growing and uh, obviously, you know, winning Cage Warriors titles, Connor winning the title and the other, other Irish guys following uh, definitely helped. But it, even in the cage contender days, having 2,000 people in, in the national basketball arena, yeah. that was like unheard of in, in Irish MMA. That was, that, that was huge progress. And, you know, people, a lot of people have a problem with John Ferguson for legitimate reasons or whatever. But, you know, I said it in the other podcast, I think he was, he was a vital uh, cog in the growth of Irish MMA. I think without... Or Graham, you should definitely do one of these with John Ferguson. A class. You have to. Is he still around? Where is he? Yeah, yeah he's in a long time, actually. No, sometime, I'd say within the last year and a half, I got a message on Facebook off him. He's definitely still active on Facebook. You Ask should him shoot him a message. message. Him, yeah, message him, definitely. Oh, my God. No, but see what, like, I, I know for, like, when Graham had said that I was young and stuff like that, I wouldn't have had the, I don't think I would have had the confidence to be able to go up and arrange stuff. So, like, I think why it worked as seamlessly as it did and why it was able to go as well is that Graham just told me where to be at what time I would always be late, but I would still be there for the first fight, but I would always be late in terms of being there. And Graham would arrange the interviews and people, Graham built up the rapport of the likes of Cahill and Owen and Paddy and John and Connor. And then it just became known as like, Oh, that's severe MMA. That's the lads from severe MMA. And Really, it, there was nobody else trying to do something similar. There was nobody else trying to do like even some. I I only said this to somebody yeah two days ago at Cage Legacy that it was so good to see Andy sitting with a laptop, documenting and writing articles because now the world has changed. That say YouTube wasn't as popular or YouTube was popular, but like Facebook, Instagram wasn't a thing. Twitter wasn't really as like reachable and stuff like that. We were relying on people watching the interviews through YouTube. And now there's more of a like visual presence of people like as being like an influencer or I'm on video, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. So I think we got people and it was really authentic that it's like, we just want to do a video interview because no one's going to let your logic, Graham was like, no one wants to listen to an audio interview. People need to see something. So being able to like, build those relationships with people at a time where like selfie cameras weren't a thing and like Snapchat videos and Instagram stories weren't a thing that like it really put us ahead. Like we were able to build good relationships with people early and they were comfortable on camera with us because we weren't trying to make it out to be like a television set. Do you know what I mean? We would literally interview people in hallways or behind curtains or like, uh, like against the black wall, against the block wall just to be able to get the interview. And there'd be like, the, the hallways and the helix. Remember, like sometimes we had to do the media stuff in the hallways and the helix against the white walls. And then there'd be like people walking out for their next fight as we're trying to like stand there and talk to people or Connor like calling the security guards past them and stuff like that. Like, oh, go on, go on, go on, go on. You know, like I always thought that was the, like we do it anywhere. You know, like there was no, 
I think we were lucky by lack of competition, maybe, <laughs> for a while, but I don't know. Yeah, so obviously uh, you were kind of getting more comfortable doing the interviews and you kind of had built a relationship your, yourself with the with the guys. Like when when Connor, Connor won the, the title at Cage Warriors and those kind of Cage Warriors events, when did you kind of think that maybe this is, you know, these guy, this guy can make it the whole way or go to the UFC and all. Can you remember when you thought, you know, this could be a career for me or this could be something I could do for a few years anyway as a, like, as a hobby, but also, you know, to, to do, to do what you're doing for, for an earning or a living? Yeah. I don't think that was ever a thought, to be honest, at the time. Like I was, I was still pretty young and I was still in college and stuff. And I, I did want to be involved in radio like as a, as a full-time job at the time, because that's what I was studying in college. But I can remember, um, I can remember after Connor won the the second title, like Joe Rogan tweeted about him the next day or Joe, like loads of people had got onto Joe Rogan on Twitter being like, you need to see this guy. You need to see this guy. And he saw it. And then he like put out a tweet about Connor being like, Oh wow, that's mad. Um, I think the, the most important thing was probably the first UFC we covered. We went to the UFC in Nottingham, maybe was it? Or not Nottingham, um, mm, Manchester. It was when Gunnar, Jimmy Manoa fought on the card. Gunnar fought on the card. It was three months before, it was three months before, uh, three months before the Stockholm debut. There was no Irish person on the card, but we covered a, U- a UFC card because it was like two months after that Cage Warrior show. Yeah, look at it now. It was February 2013, UFC on Fuel, Fuel TV 7, uh, Gunnar yeah. against Santiago. So we didn't get credentialed for that. Ariel got us credentialed for that because Severe MMA wasn't reputable enough and we had well, messaged well, Was Ariel. it not that, that they had said you were too young, I think, and that they weren't going to credential you and Ariel had to vote for you, I think it was, no? That could have been it. I can remember that I was definitely emailing him at the time to thank him or to s- explain the situation. I, I remember vividly that my first UFC anyway, yeah, it must have been me. He just vouched for me. Like that, that was another thing. Like I was a kid and Graham was a couple of years older. So he was already an adult. So he was able to like speak to adults <laughs> properly and arrange and organize stuff. But for, for that first event, I can remember us covering that. We met Gary Cook for the first time there. And then we kind of like struck up a good relationship with Gary Cook because we were the, the, the people kind of like talking to, to him, like in the same way Ariel would talk to Dana. I was thinking like, all right, well, Gary Cook should be the guy we should talk to. I don't know if it was that event that we spoke to your man, Nick the Tooth, or not. Yeah, I, I think it was. We, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. We did a video with him as well and stuff and got a couple of interviews. And then we were like known or on the UFC's radar in the sense. So going to Stockholm was no problem. But I think I think we were all in the, like, I definitely followed your lead and your opinions on a lot of things. And you were very hot on Connor after the after the Bushinger fight. I know you had got to see him train before, and you knew how like potentially good he could be, and as a character, how interesting he was. But I don't think anyone that travelled to cover the fight in Stockholm was surprised that he won by first round knockout. Do you know, and from that point on, it was like let's just like he's just going to keep going here, like. Yeah, and obviously, Sean, you were you had kind of caught on, and you've been at Trinity uh, College when Dana White had come over. Oh. And- and all that stuff uh, when you kind of became known on the Irish MMA scene a bit more. Yeah, I, the, I was. Go on, Andrew. What are, what are you going to say? Sorry, Sean. The biggest lie ever to- told in modern mixed martial arts, courtesy of Dana White. Yeah. I went to Ireland. They give me an award. 
everyone was telling me about this kid, Conor McGregor. I got home to Las Vegas and said, we need to sign Conor McGregor. Sign Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor was already signed. I asked Dana a question about why they had chosen to sign Conor McGregor because I think at the time, Cage Warriors had announced for a Wales show that was meant to be happening a few months later that Conor McGregor was going to be defending his title on it. So I said, is the reason that you pulled the trigger on signing Conor McGregor because Cage Warriors wanted him to fight again in Europe? Blah, blah, blah. He's like, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm excited to see this kid. Is your impression is awful, awful. It's, it's brilliant. I, like, that, like, it's just an American impression. Sorry. But that's like that. Like, and that that's a story that has been constantly retold, like revisionist history from the UFC's promotional. Point and there's of view, loads right? of that. There's loads of that, though. You loads of that there, stuff yeah, going on. Graham, when it affects us, you know, when it, when it affects us, we see it. Yeah. We know it. That so anyway, Sean, you, you, you turned up, but, uh, you turned up there and. Uh, <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so like I, I heard Dana White was coming, and I actually he was. I was like, oh, I can't wait or whatever. I was tweeting out, and then Dana White followed me on on Twitter, and then I like DM'd him. Was like, oh, you're coming to Ireland? Can I like get a ticket or whatever? And he was like, oh, I don't know about that, and uh, hope you can get there, and I'm looking forward to seeing you there. So uh, I got onto Trinity College, found like someone in the faculty of arts or whatever the fuck it was that they were doing, emailed them. And said that, um, I don't know, I said something like, Sob, sorry, I'm the biggest fan of MMA in Ireland. I really want to be there. I was talking to Dana White and I'm planning to like meet him there or whatever, something like that. Um, and they were like, no, no, we, we won't be able to do it. I was like, look, even if I could stand up in the back, I don't care. Come on, you please give me a ticket. And they were like, okay, grand, we'll give you a ticket. And I was like, well, my brother's actually coming with me as well. Can I get a, can I get a second ticket? And they were like, yeah, sure, okay, yeah. And they gave me a second ticket. So, uh, yeah, myself and Patrick turned up there. And uh, there was loads of people. Because I think John, was John Balf there? Because uh, for, I don't know. But there was, there was loads of different people there anyway that I've kind of, you know, f- I suppose fallen out of MMA and then come back into MMA as well. Uh, and obviously the Gary Cook there. I, th- I think I asked the question about, was it Bigfoot Silva versus JDS or something like that? So I was still more concerned with uh, the UFC rather than Irish MMA at that time. But uh, yeah, that was the day, I suppose. Because that, at that time, I remember you were talking, I think you were talking to Ariel about it, Graham, and the podcast that has already come out now at this stage, that when Dana White did an interview, it was news all the time. It wasn't like it was live streamed that everyone knew it, that there was 15 people on Twitter tweeting every word and it was on YouTube. So, like, I, I was probably the only one in there with, like, a fucking light of Blackberry and I was live tweeting what Dana White was saying and, like, tagging Ariel and Bin folks and, like, they were retweeting it and stuff. So, like, he was breaking news. He said he wanted to punch Frank Shamrock in the head and loads of different things. And then he did Meniere's disease attack thing. Remember that? Yeah. And he had the, the episode and yeah. he had to leave. And to leave. I, I got the question in before he, like, I was the last. I don't know if you're, uh, Graham, you took a picture of me at the time. I had my hand in the air for like 50 minutes and I kept swapping hands and I was holding my arm up like this because I couldn't keep my hand up for that long because they put us down the very back. And then he was finally like, okay, one more question, you know, and and it was me. And then I was like, oh, great. And then that was it. And then he like started getting dizzy and stuff like that. And he had to be carried out of the room. Yeah. And hadn't he promised to go for points or something? And all the Irish fans thought he he was faking it to get out of the points. (laughs) He won points for people the night before, though. I remember that. Can I ask you a question as well before we move on too much? I want to know, like, Andrew, from your point of view, like, you mentioned the boards thing earlier on and stuff, but, like, the the Conor McGregor shit talk with lads like Jim Aylers and other people on the way up, and, like, the, the Conor McGregor that we saw in the UFC 
being the Conor McGregor that was also there before, but with like four people listening to him talking about it. Like you were part of that and you were like watching all of that going on and Graham as well, I suppose. How was that like? Like to, to people who maybe have only seen him like me since maybe the end of the cage wars days or the, the UFC days, that that was going on beforehand as well, just on a really smaller scale, wasn't it? Yeah, he did. Uh... Jesus. It, uh, the thread was definitely resurfaced during his UFC run, but there's the two, boards the that two I eat posters, the two yeah, posters. Yeah, yeah, Connor Dillon, loser, <laughs> winner, winner gets the others two pack posters or something like that. He was like saying that Connor Dillon was a gangster rapper lookalike from uh, from California or from Drogheda or something. He was scared to fight him. Paul McVeigh was a fake Irishman. He was afraid to fight him. Uh, he might have mentioned like Paul Kaiser, like wanting to fight Paul Kaiser. Like anyone who was anyone within the sport, no matter the fact that the sport was in its infancy in Ireland, Connor wanted to fight whoever was ahead of him and would go on to boards.ie and to slag them and to call them out and to try and get like fights with them and stuff like that. I'd never been friends with him on Bebo. I don't know, maybe he was similar <laughs> on Bebo writing on people's walls. But I, I can always remember that those posts on like that was like it. That was like news. Do you know what I mean? Like people were like, "Oh, this." Like I, I can remember the first time. The first time that I saw him was when he stepped in. No, he was always. He was always booked. So the first time I saw him was at a cage contender that he wasn't fighting on, and he was walking around. He had like really like black like baggy jeans, like the ones that a grunger would have like chains attached to from the hip down, but he didn't have the the chain. He just had like really baggy jeans. And he was, you know, Graham, at the top of the National Basketball Arena where you walk out from the little room and there's like a little fake balcony. The training room that has a kind of balcony ahead of the the top. That has a bar in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So there was like he was there watching. Yeah, Jesus, that bar right beside the warm up area. That was fucking (laughs) ridiculous. (laughs) People coming in scuttered like uh, looking for ice. And then then they put a thing on it. And so he was out watching. SBG lads fighting and he was shadow boxing like this is him at like whatever and he was standing at the top of the national basketball arena talking about how he wished he had a, had a fight and stuff like that and he was shadow boxing throwing shots and slipping like watching the fights happening and stuff like that and then the next time there was an event he was on the card that guy Mike Wood took the fight on 24 hours notice I think he was a brown belt under Braulio Estima at the time and he flew over from the UK on 24 hours to fight him he lost to Connor in like 14 or 15 seconds Connor broke his orbital bone and then whatever. But I can remember from that event, the notes, I used to have like handwritten notes and stuff like that. I said, looks like a tiny GSP because he was completely bald at the time. He was completely bald and he was in serious neck and he was at 145. And I was like, could go to the UFC maybe. You know, just like loads of little like random notes about every fight. Now, I probably thought every fighter at the time could go to the UFC. But I do remember finding that notepad a couple of years after being like, oh, Jesus. Like that was mad, but though that was the first like kind of like standout, like when he like nobody else on the card when he bent Mike Wood, with the exception of Gunner against Botenko. Maybe that wasn't even was a different that was card. Like, yeah, yeah. That was a different card. Um nobody won as comprehensively. Do you know? Like nobody won as like viciously or as like easily and looked as like levels and leagues above as he did against your man Wood that night. 
And Sean, uh, can you remember like when we first got in contact with you and or when I first got in contact with you and tell us kind of a little bit about how you started? I think it was, was it Hav MMA you started with? Or? Yeah, I was, yeah, Hav MMA. So I, I've told the story loads of times now, but I was on like uh, Steffi Haynes' or Steffi Daniels at the time, I think she was. Um, she used to do a show uh, on Tap Out Radio with Evan Showman, who's a great artist. Um, and she used to have like Michael Bisping and Cub Swanson and different people on and they'd be in the chat so every, like there used to be loads of people Dana White was on at once I think in the chat and Tito Ortiz and lots of people so I used to kind of hang out there and I'd be there every I think it was on every Wednesday at like 10 o'clock so I'd like just before bed I'd be on it for an hour listening and chatting with like the everyone in, in the world of MMA it was crazy like you could do it at the time and then she like she used to get me to do stuff like giveaways I'd give people t-shirts and you know healthcare fucking things and it was mad I used to just give away things to random people all the time for like a year and then uh, you know I was doing my picks and stuff and there was a guy in there Dan Rose who used to run that website Have MMA and I was uh, and he said he, he'd put my picks on his website for me so I was like grand and then I started doing um a few articles and stuff. I did. I did one like the air, I think Daniel Cormier's first fight in Strikeforce was one of my first articles. Ironically, um, but then I was doing it for maybe two years ish or a little bit longer. And you asked me to do. Uh, I, I did an article on Neil Siri. Uh, you I, I, were at the Cage Warriors fight show. Was, That's yeah. when I first met you. That's the one in June two thousand thirteen. Yeah, and I was working for Hav. I think I got credential for two Cage for Warriors Hav. events for Hav. Yeah, before it was around the time McGregor signed for the UFC. Like the 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 one the it was the two weeks after the UFC Dublin, wasn't it? Well, that was uh, I suppose a year later. That was the second one, wasn't it? And then there was the one as well. But anyway, yeah, whatever. I I, I wrote an article. I remember on Hav that. You know, Conor McGregor signs for the UFC basically, and that that was just after you know the Trinity thing and all. So it all kind of happened around the same time. So I just after the Trinity thing, I started writing and doing things like that. But I was doing a little bit before, but I was mostly mostly just my picks and putting up stuff. But then Graham, you saw one I did. It would have been right after that about Neil Siri, and I, I was it was a very good article actually. I was very proud of it. I wrote like about like a working class hero or whatever, and I you know, and you were like, oh, come and write for Severe Med. That was very good. We want you here. And I remember my friend JJ was at um uh, at my house at the time, and Graham at the time would ring people all the time and not text. Uh, and I remember I got like the fifth phone call in about a week asking me to come and write for Severe Man. And I was like, "Will this prick ever leave me alone?" Like I just wouldn't stop ringing me back. And then eventually he wore me down, and I started doing. Remember, it was Sheehan versus or something that I do picks. And I think me and Brian Moore did it. Me and Kyle Pinder. I think me and Andrew did it once. Me and uh, yeah, Jesus, I forgot about that completely. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. I did that for about a year for Severe before, or maybe a little bit less. But I did that for a good while for Severe before I actually came over. I was working for Hav and Severe for for a good while. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's kind of how I started out, and then I suppose it went from there. But yeah, it was um, yeah, that was fun, and then like I I feel like. You know, I I was obviously on Ariel's show a few times, and he, him following me on Twitter. I got I started to grow the following and stuff like that. And I was I suppose I was on the different side of it for the like the American side of it, and you were on the Irish side of it. And I feel like we both kept together. It was it was a good mix at that stage, and obviously it kept growing. But uh, yeah, that's how I got into it anyway. Yeah, and uh, obviously uh, we had a really good team at the time. I, I'm, I'm not, my memory is is really bad with dates, but uh, we ended up with a team of obviously you two guys, PT, Dave Fogarty. Um, at the time, I think that was it, was it? Niall, 
Me and Niall came a little later. Yeah. Because I remember I was doing talking brawls with Niall before Niall came to Severe. And then I think that was like, and then he ended up maybe bringing it here or something. I don't know. But we got Dave. Dave was doing, like there's, Dave was doing it for Fight Hounds as well at the start. Like after I had stopped with them. And then I I can't remember. I can't remember how he got Dave over. I think I don't know if he contacted you and asked to do for severe, or if I had kind of known Dave from seeing him at events and said like, "Here, you should do this for severe," or he just wanted to start taking more pictures and go to more because we had started going to UFC events and like, like, can you remember what happened to me the first time we went to Boston, Graham, um, my hotel? Oh God, they wouldn't let you check in because you were too young. <laughs> Yeah. So Graham was yeah. Graham was staying somewhere else and it, the biggest inconvenience of Graham's life was having to leave the hotel that he was in to come to my hotel because he was over 21 to check me in because they wouldn't let me check into the hotel because I was only 20. And then we went to that and then Connor had made a joke about like wearing a suit or like looking better. So I went that day. I got my hair cut and then I bought like a random jacket, like a jacket that was far, far too big for me. And then like right before the interview started after the fight, that girl, uh, uh, can't even think of her name. Loretta's in my head for some reason, but it's not. But she was working for the UFC at the time and she was like, okay, you can get an interview with him. We'll get you an exclusive interview with him, blah, blah, blah. And then he just like started doing like this to the, to the jacket. He was just like that. You're looking, you're looking better at least than you were the last time. Because the last interview is when he took the piss out of the clothes and the, uh, the the gear and the equipment and stuff like those, that. But those were classic though, like because when Connor signed for the UFC and he did the Ariel show, you know, with the blueberries and all of that. Then what came? You you had the interviews before that, obviously, with him with the banana and all that. But then you had one, the Andy Ogle interview that I call it, or the one where you had, you know, the the earphone in your ear, and he's like, "What the fuck is that? What the fuck is that?" You know, and they all yeah. came kind of after that. So you not only had the interviews before he became famous, you also had the interviews after he started to kind of blow up. I remember he was asked to be on that reality show on TV3 and you asked him about it. And he was like, oh, I don't know if it gets too big, I won't do it. So I feel like, and like, I remember as well, just you asked about Dave Fogarty. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I'm, I might be wrong, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I was there this, the, the, the second Dave Fogarty met Conor McGregor uh, because there was, I don't know if it was Dave. I think it was Dave, but it was, there was like this, this redhead, uh, photographer There's only one redheaded photographer <laughs> at Cage Warriors <laughs> and he came up to Connor I remember remember we did it was Joseph Duffy I think fighting maybe and I was there like an idiot with my phone holding up in the post fight scrum you know with uh, Graham Boylan and all and I remember Dave went over to Connor and he like asked him for a photo and asked him for a selfie and stuff so I was like well okay and I re- remember that but uh, yeah I, f- I feel like like the fact that you, ye, the two ye and me coming after it, obviously watching you do it, but had access to Connor at that point was absolutely huge to help like the website grow because, as you said, Graham, then you had the great photos from Dave, Andrew doing the great interviews, and I know yourself and Dave travelled around and did lots of interviews, and then yeah, the likes PT doing the articles, yeah, 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 but the likes of of Cahalding coming up after it, Ashling Daly, you know, Paddy Hoolan and all the rest of them coming up, it was massive, and you know, Ariel always mentions it to these days, even like with the likes of Ian Gary or whoever it might be. The fact that we're kind of still doing that and we, you know, we have that trust built now to tell the people who are the next ones coming. I feel like that was the next phase of Severe May, wasn't it? Like with Connor and still getting all those interviews, but also bringing up, I suppose, the next, you know, the next uh, batch of Irish MMA fighters that should have been brought up, you know, at the time. Yeah, Graham. 
What? Oh, I was only what? No, uh, you. I can answer Sean's point. I was only going to ask you if you could do anything yeah. differently. What do you think you would have done differently? Uh, I haven't really thought about it. I like. I'm happy with with how things have gone. Uh, nothing that I regret massively or ever think about. What about yourself? Do you do you have regrets? <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I would say I remember. I remember either maybe you and Pizzi or me and you or me, you and Pizzi or different people had like met with all of these like spoofers who were telling us that they were like marketing experts and ad revenue experts and they could get us this and that. And they were just promising like the star, the moon and the sky and stuff like that. And we were given like so much, like for me anyway, I, I'd say I got so many like bouts of false hope thinking that something was just around the corner that it was going to start like going good and stuff like that. And like Pete, was more older and he was kind of like had his teeth cut in, in real, in regular journalism as well and stuff like that. So that's how he like the fact like Peter Carroll is the reason that there was mainstream association for the sport because he hounded every editor for like the mirror and different stuff like that to get them to even cover Connor's fights, you know, at the time because they wouldn't do it. So it was like, I, I I respected how he was able to like hustle and go around and cover his trips and stuff that way. I remember it was remember it was a huge deal when Pizzi did the Sherdog round table with Jack Encarnacio and stuff like that before one of the fights in Vegas. And like he was doing stuff Vice's MMA website, like Fightland or something like that. Yeah, Fightland. I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, yeah, Fightland yeah. and stuff like that and doing pieces with them. So that's the only like the, the thing that I say to people about say the history of severe MMA was if all of the timeline of Conor McGregor, severe MMA, Irish mixed martial arts was five years later in starting than when it was, we would be maybe millionaires <laughs> because of the likes of how say Joe.ie capitalized on clickbait and marketing and revenue and offices and all of this sort of stuff. Like we didn't actually I think that's what kind of set us apart as well, that we didn't actually have anyone that specifically cared about that side of things. There was no one like knocking your door down being like, Graham, I need to get paid for doing this. You're just like, I have no money to pay for doing this. We're all doing this because we want to be doing this and because we hope that it will lead to something that will enable us to get paid for doing this. But I feel that that would be the, like if we had, if you had a found like a marketing person or like the person that had like links with ad revenues and agencies or sponsorships, like, I think that's the only regret that I would have about like those early years that we had so much good stuff that could have been like, cause we couldn't prepare for the fact that say a Connor interview would get a million views. But if we had have had the knowledge that it might've, you could have sold that as like, this is going to get a million views. And at the time in terms of ad revenue and views and videos on YouTube, you would have got, I'd say a good chunk of a company for that. Yeah, I suppose so. Uh, at the time, though, we didn't really know what we were doing in that aspect, and you know, for most of most of the time before that, I suppose uh, all companies had kind of nobody was interested in advertising in MMA. It was this completely underground thing, and if you told people you were covering MMA, they didn't even know what you were talking about. So, yeah, maybe, maybe that was something we 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 should have done better. But I, I don't like look back on it and, and regret it really it's at all. It's definitely not no. So I'm not stewing over it. I wouldn't be like saying like that. Oh, that was such a regret. It should have been done differently because there was something like incredibly authentic about. Like I I say this to I do say it to people even today. Like my fondest memories of all of severe MMA was traveling to Vegas, was traveling abroad to fights 
um, apart from doing the podcast with you, Sean, Thank was you, traveling abroad to uh, was traveling abroad to fights and stuff like that. Because as as someone younger, okay, we were coming up alongside say Connor's trajectory, and then in the eyes of the likes of Ariel or Jordan Breen, who I know like you and I are. Fan, like we were fans of say cheap seats and stuff you put me on to cheap seats and the sure dog radio network and then we got to meet all of these people and then not only just meet them but like we were their peers you know because we were doing the same sort of thing and they would nearly respect like maybe it was because i was younger but i always felt that i got like a really good amount of respect from those more established older people in mma because i was a younger kid doing those interviews with these people and maybe seeming comfortable on camera or being able to talk well on camera, being able to do all of that stuff. But to me, that was like sitting in Hooters, having chicken wings with the likes of like Jordan Breen or Dwayne Finley or like uh, people like uh, like Niall and Gav and yourself and meeting Ariel and meeting Luke Thomas and meeting John Morgan and becoming friendly with guys like Mike Bond and stuff like that. That was all that to me, that was the thing because that was the switch because it was like, oh, you look at these people on the internet and then you, you don't know them and then you, you realize they're real and you get to meet, like meeting Chael Sonnen in Boston. Like when we did that clip that you ended up using in the, uh, the documentary and stuff of him talking about Connor and stuff like that, like being able to, the first time like coming across all of these people, you're just like, oh, like I remember being so jealous, even though I wasn't a video guy, I remember being so jealous that Gav got to film the John Jones, Daniel Cormier brawl because he was there with Connor at the time because Connor was getting ready to fight Parry for the first time. And it was just like Gav was there, like Gav got to see that, like he recorded the fight. It was just, to me, that was the coolest part of it. Do you know what? One thing for me is I'll just to touch on the two points you made there. In terms of like the money thing and all, I feel like if Patreon was around like a year earlier or two years earlier than we'd started it, like I think Wouldn't that would, <laughs> yeah, I think that would have been enough to like, you know, we'd be full time just severe and man now. Like where we're doing pretty well at the Patreon at the moment. But like you know, you know what I mean. It would have like seen us all through if we could all, all like the the three of us, Niall, Pete, you know, had gotten on Patreon. It would have taken off massively. Uh, I think at the time, but it just came maybe a little bit later. But you know, we we'll, we we'll leave that aside because we don't want to uh, negatives. But the what you were saying there about being different. Like I remember the first time Ben Fox like DM me. And like treated me as if I was, you know, his peer or whatever. I was like, that's the weirdest. Because I, I used love Ben Fox. Like, I thought he was an absolute genius. So what he was doing was brilliant. But also, if for us, I remember someone was saying it to me recently about like, oh, your, you know, your tweets come up in the broadcast. And I was like, I, I never even thought of that. What was weird to me, and I think you would probably agree, Andrew, was like being on 2FM, being on Today FM, you know, being on like news channels over in America. I remember a friend of mine rang me once, he was like, what the fuck are you doing on the radio in Australia? And I was, it was just like we were getting calls all the time at that stage. And I think that really, like we talk about, this is the 10 years of Severe Man, talk about Severe Man coming up. I feel like we were really thrown into the deep end. One, you especially at, at with a couple of these debates. I, I only did one or two of them, but like the debate for MMA, you know, like why yeah. is MMA and that one you did on the radio? Who was it? with John McGurk? Was it that <laughs> John was the, the best <laughs> yeah. thing ever? But like we we were bedded into journalism as someone who did all of us who didn't have like you you more than us maybe, but didn't have journalism degrees or like. We, we were vaulted into this position to cover MMA. I feel like we, we maybe didn't do the best job early, but we quickly realized what we were doing and were able to argue the right way and cover it the right way. 
and I think it's why we kept doing it. But that that time was, and before we get to the podcast, but that time was a mad time, wasn't it? Where we were vaulted into those radio stations and those debates and things like that. Yeah, because you like you became like off the ball. You and Pete were like off the balls, like first two main two people to come on no, all the time. Game on, yeah, game Niall, on. Two oh, game on. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Niall. Niall was doing a lot of stuff with off the ball. Um, I argued about MMA's validity as a sport with Joe Duffy on Live Line one day, and then completely took out a Tom McGuirk. And I can remember getting like really like in hindsight shouldn't have spoke to someone like that but I was like you're only talking like this because you're an old fella that doesn't know about MMA <laughs> and that this is here to stay and it's people like me that are going to come and take your jobs yeah, it was brilliant. stuff like that <laughs> and I was like oh Jesus like just thinking about it now but like and then like being on say the last word loads of time then when the Diaz fight got announced or something like that or Connor retired or something me and uh, me and Jim Edwards were on CNN and stuff like that and that probably got the most reaction from people that I know in terms of like here you're on CNN like you're on America like you're on like television in America right now talking about this and I was just like oh yeah that's a bit that's a bit mad but I think uh, he doesn't like he doesn't praise himself like we might be able to praise ourselves but Graham's persist I don't mean persistent heckling by any means Graham but I mean your foresight to try and get like the one hour notorious doc on RTE that by far and away is probably one of the most legitimizing things that has ever been done for the sport of mixed martial arts in the country I know you had to go through a production company that had previously worked with RTE to be even even able to get a meeting but I can remember how like Fran not frantic I don't mean to say you're stressed but like he'd always be like Oh, there's there's no money. We need to ring your man to get him to put money in because we can't get any food. Like he told us the money would be in the account. We need to keep all the receipts. You used to have a little folder with you that would have like pages printed out and receipts and all the stuff that you had to do. And then all of the footage you would have had to watch through with the lads like to put it together. So like that one hour notorious, the six part notorious, and then the fighting Irish that came after that. You have no idea like how legitimized that made the sport by having something like that on the national broadcaster. Do you, do you, will you at least pat yourself on the back for that? Um, yeah, well, like it wasn't just me. It was like Gal Fitzgerald, Paddy, Timmons Ward. Obviously, you mentioned Jamie Dalton there from Motive. That we, uh, I think we met him at the Late Late Show when, when Cole and uh, Connor were on the Late Late Show. So it had already kind of begun to kind of build by then. But yeah, no, definitely was... Uh, like brought the attention to the, the Irish crowd. Like the the documentaries did great numbers uh, on on RTE for RTE. Obviously, RTE is a kind of wasn't it RTE's potatoes, highest but, grossing? Wasn't it RTE's highest grossing commission? Oh, I'm not sure. I don't know. My memory. I'm terrible. pretty sure there was something about that that because they sold the six part to so many international territories, it was like their highest grossing sales commission of some sort of series up until that point. And like, even if you go, okay, fair enough, they were a little bit more established, but to go from just saying like, okay, we're not just going to do a video in the gym of you training, but to do 10,000 hours and to make like a, a, like a mini doc around two people who then ended up winning so emphatically, like it was nearly like you couldn't have planned that any better, do you know, in terms of like what, what came from, from that, that like Roddy and uh, Paddy card, like. 
Yeah, there was definitely luck involved. Like, you know, you can go to an, an MMA event and there can be boring fights and obviously the drama of, of the the main event between Owen Roddy and Googerty and that fight obviously made the, the documentary a lot better. But, uh, yeah, there's definitely a lot of luck uh, involved along the way, I think. But, uh, yeah, I think obviously having it out there as as a, as a thing on, on TV legitimizes it. You guys being on the radio talking about it legitimizes it. You know, uh, a lot of people hadn't heard of it or had barely heard of it and didn't really know what it, what it, what it was, what MMA was. So it was uh, it was a big time for, for MMA. And it really, like, you know, uh, we can look, look back now and kind of forget how how much MMA had kind of taken over. I don't know about maybe where you guys live, but in Dublin, like everybody was talking about UFC and Conor McGregor for, at that time. Yeah, it was huge. Like the one last thing on that, Sean, I remember I also got kicked off BBC five live for cursing at seven in the morning, uh, talking about the McGregor fight the night before. Cause I had, I was still awake in Vegas. I re- um, the baddest but- one I was on was, I think I was on, it was either Hungarian or Estonian TV. <laughs> I was like they were translating what I was saying as yeah. I was saying it and I was completely flustered like I don't know what the fuck was going on and then they were asking the questions back to me in like fucking Eston- whatever the fucking language is and then someone was translating into English and I was like oh no <laughs> what's going on here I was wait just, a minute it was just crazy but there was a few different things I did where I like usually I if I was on somewhere they they what they usually did was record it and then they'd put it out afterwards live it'd be live in Ireland but it was in America there was a few of them I did I'm like well I'm not tweeting this out <laughs> like no one's gonna yeah. ever hear about that because it was fucking crazy I remember as well I was on Northern Ireland radio and they had like <gasps> oh yeah I know BBC and they have like this uh this phone in show I'm sure there's some people listening and they were like there was people calling in asking me questions about MMA. And I was like, what the fuck? I'm not prepared to be answering these fucking questions at all. What is going on here? But like, we were, yeah, we were all, we were really thrown into that sort of thing. It was fucking, it was crazy. Can, can you remember when we started, the, when you guys started the podcast, uh, doing the podcast together? Had you, at that stage, you probably had at least a little bit of experience of, of talking to, to like, it was, through a podcast or a radio or... You or were doing... It? I, I, saw, I, 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 had, I done, had talking brawls. Yeah. I had done I had done and stopped with talking brawls and I was still doing like I had finished radio in college or I'd finished college and I was still doing like the radio stuff and I was obviously doing the interviews and then I I, I don't know who suggested it. I think you it could were, have been you, Graham. Yeah, no, but it was me. You were doing the MMA hangout, remember that? And you had Harry Williams on, you had ah, Fergus O'Farrell. And then I was Gordon like Breen, Barry Oglesby. I was like John you, Balfe, I Yeah, you stopped doing yeah. that for a while. And then I was like, well, I kind of said it to you do you mind if I bring that back or something I was like why don't the two of us do it together and let's just start the podcast because I was looking at I was looking at someone to do it with and then you kind of said well let's do it together and we're like grand and uh, I because I, I was looking at the CME and I was like there's no Irish thing like this you know there was talking brawls but Nyla was mostly interviews and they talk for like a couple of minutes afterwards and you know I wasn't part of Severe May and stuff at that stage but he also had like Simon Head on it and was more like you the you know more concentrated on the UFC and stuff, whereas we were going to talk about like Connor and the Irish guys and and uh, Irish MMA as well as kind of the all, all around MMA, and it was going to be no guests and all like that, which it still is. There's never been a guest on the podcast till till this day, apart from like co-hosts or whatever. But 
yeah, that that's how it started off. I feel like the podcast though was one of those things where we must have uh, gone anyway before we yeah, before we start that. Go on. No, I was gonna no, sorry, I was just gonna say we must have started in 2014. It must have been when I had chose not to go back to college because if we stopped in 2016 and we got to 92, that means we were just short of say two years. I'll get you down. So it must have been sometime in in that, but. Like, see, when you said it was big in Dublin and stuff, Graham, do you mean like people wearing the three-piece suits and getting the wee man buns and stuff and how everyone was like just completely like idolizing Connor like as a potential athlete? Because remember the convention center day? Like the well, convention it was, center. It was, I suppose it was, there was some of that as well, but it was more everybody was kind of all of a sudden interested in UFC and talking about UFC and talking about Connor. And, you know, it really went from nobody would, you'd never hear anybody talking about it. And then you'd be walking in the street and you'd hear people talking about it. And it was really strange at the start here. Because you, like, you'd you know, been a fan for years, like obviously, but like you started severe because you couldn't find out stuff, say, about Irish MMA, but you were watching UFC in, in your gaff and stuff like that for years and years before yeah, that. Uh, you know bra- what I mean? You're always well, I started uh, Bravo watching UFCs on Bravo. Uh, I don't even know what year that was. I'm watching The, the Ultimate Fighter uh, the first season. Uh, so, yeah, I think that was on Bravo too at the time. Um, and that was like the middle of the night on like a random channel. So, obviously, it wasn't really... Uh, you had to kind of seek it out. It wasn't, you know, mainstream at all. And, um, and sure... You know, Soccer AM was on its way out then, you know. <laughs> yeah, jump on to the next up and coming, yeah, up and B- coming. B- Sky B were, were, were trying to sue me at the time, so <laughs> I'm I, uh, <laughs> so I had to, I had to take a swerve. That would be the first. One. It, was, it was around, uh, it was around March 2000 or February March 2015. We started the podcast, so coming up on what seven years now, nearly since it started, it was mad. Like I, I feel like it's all about the podcast. And one thing, the only thing I kind of thought about before we had this conversation. Like, even talking to, like, Andy and Ian and stuff coming up now, and, like, looking at other websites, say, if you look at Barstool and, and things now, it's all about personalities and people knowing their personalities. And, like, I, be, I feel like people saw you on camera and knew you but didn't really know you until you started talking on the podcast. Like, you know someone when you sit in front of a podcast for, you know, 90 minutes or 70 minutes every week. You know their personality. You can't hide that personality. And I feel like that was really the start of... I, the Irish MMA journalists and media members becoming like voices and becoming like people who people took notice of because they could hear us every week. Like, and I, I, I really think that really changed the game. There was, a, you know, there's always going to be people yeah. writing articles and people doing stuff and people being called upon when Conor McGregor's fighting from Ireland. But to be actual voices in the sport, that was the start of it for me. And that, like, us starting that podcast changed the game. And I have no problem saying that it really did. I think. Do you think it was because we got to, um, like, that's, it's, I wouldn't have thought of it like that before, because when you were doing an interview, you're doing a, a call and response. Do you know, you're asking something, you're getting the response. You listen to the response and you ask them something based off their response. And it continues for seven or eight minutes as an optimal time and then leave it at that. But we would have got to bounce off each other in a way where we could, like, elaborate on our points and then kind of like circle back and like uh i i remember getting so many messages at the end of it where people were saying like even if you did talk for 15 minutes at the start about football or professional wrestling it was worth getting through that bit because you were genuine about what you were talking about we weren't actually just trying to like fill air i would always say that you and i when we were doing it we would literally 
as if we were just on the phone to each other for 90 minutes and we would, uh, but we were talking about MMA or what we were going to talk about and it would do this and do this and do this. And, and like, I do, I do know that it was because of the podcast that I got some like offers later on in terms of like work and being able to like sound like a comfortable broadcaster and being able to speak, um, speak at range of topics and float between things and different stuff like that. I, I, I definitely took it for granted until wasn't until like I wasn't doing it consistently anymore that I realized not only how important of a part of my week or of my schedule or of my life it was and stuff like that, but like how much genuine, not even just fun it was, but like you, you, you like Graham, I know you're a man who shies away from say publicity in a sense to a degree, but there are people now who you've never met and have never messaged you who look forward to hearing something that you're going to say every Monday or every Sunday when you record it after the fights. And you you don't realize the effect that you're actually having on people's lives that like they're commuting or they're driving to work and, or they've like, they just look for like, it's how I used to feel about say, listening to the cheap seats going on the bus to Dublin or listening to second captains on their Patreon and stuff like that to know that like at least now I have an hour and 10 minutes or an hour and 15 minutes of the day where I can hear like lovely audio beds um, f- like Owen and Karen like arguing about GAA or Ken talking about something about football, something ridiculous. And then like, you know, that's always, always something that I look forward to. So it's like, that was probably the biggest thing that hit me about it. Like we definitely had an impact and maybe I didn't realize the impact we were having until our Bama, that Bama show that we went to Sean, uh, maybe Bama 24, whatever the first one was in Ireland. Like that crazy, was crazy yeah. was in mad. the sense of like people. And it's probably, it's only gotten bigger. Do you know what I mean? Now yeah. for you, like in terms of those Bellator events and, like there was such a lull in domestic attendance when you go from like what Graham was saying, 2,000 people, John Ferguson getting 2,000 people to come to Cage Contender to watch an intermission of a rock band performing for 20 minutes between fights and then there being a dip and there being like a handful, 100 people going to an indoor football GA or indoor football like hall at a community centre to then Bama like throwing the chance at the three arena and stuff and then crowds coming back because of the rec- name recognition of Bellator and the likes of Gallagher and stuff like that. So I think it's mental. You know Sorry what? for the tangent. No, it's grand. I think you're, but it's, it's kind of weird with the podcast as well. I was talking to our guy, Sean Shamrock, who's over from uh, Connecticut. I was thought he's from Boston. He's and he was like, uh, I'm probably like your only American listener. Am I? And he was over for Bellator. And I was like, we have more American listeners now than we have Irish listeners which is kind of mad because we do talk a lot about Irish MMA, but people in America like to listen to us talking about Irish MMA, you know, and it's, it's, it's crazy that that is not just an Irish thing anymore, like, or not just a, a Dublin thing anymore. It's, it's spread all around the world. And you know, we're coming up on a million people haven't listened to the podcast. It's, it's crazy. Like it, it's actually crazy where it's gone, but I really, like, I really do to circle back to that point again, but like Graham starting severe MMA, added to you, Andrew, doing the interviews on camera, 
added to the documentary, added to that day in Trinity College, added to, you know, Conor McGregor, 97% of it, you know, okay. But then, you know, Ariel helping us along, my following growing hugely, then year followings growing hugely, then lads like Niall and Petey coming on board with us, with our huge followings, and then bringing them up. And now you see it again happening with uh, Andy Stevenson and Ian O'Neill. Like, I really think, you know, you talked about team. We had a great team at the time, and we were building, I think, a great team now again. But uh, all of it led to the next part of it. But I, 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 like I have to pat us on the back, Andrew, and then Graham coming on as well afterwards. And Graham used to edit the podcast as well for us all the time. So uh, fair play to him at that time. He no longer fucking does that. Yeah, come back and do it. But um, yeah. I had to I had to make sure Andrew wasn't accused, <laughs> ran, uh, yeah. casually accusing people Graham of being juicers. To, yeah, and more more yeah. than that, worse than that. <laughs> Graham had to vet every oh. everything. I like you can't let my conscious stream of thought out into the air into the universe. Yeah. A couple of times and fucking did get out there. <laughs> mm. Mm. <laughs> we, love, we, won't, we won't talk about that. We leave that for no, another no. There was a couple, like, it's it's shocking that I stayed in a good position for as long as I did yeah. with the, with the, like, Graham, you, like, we don't have to elaborate, but Graham has made so many phone calls on my behalf to just be like, he's an idiot. Just like, like don't like pay no attention to him like he didn't uh, his mate got on his facebook or something like don't don't mind him like he's just he's whatever like we all did that though early didn't we i remember graham ringing me once and going someone there's someone who big an important person in mma and they asked me they told me about you and they're like they don't like you and they're like you need to kind of change your ways and i remember that graham and you never you still have never told me who that was but do you remember that? i remember that distinctly you were, I was actually thinking when we when we you arranged this a couple of weeks ago, already mentioned a couple of weeks ago. I was trying to remember who that was. You said that to me. I was trying to remember. Was but it I Ian Dean? Remember. I always suspect it might no, have been Ian Dean. No, oh, it wasn't Ian Dean. No, no. Jeez, I can't remember. Yeah. Fucking name him. Name him. Was it John Kavanagh? <laughs> no, I probably wouldn't be. Though. I I I, like, I always thought it was someone from a promotion at the time, but I don't know. But yeah, oh, I don't think so. I, don't, I can't remember who it was now. Fuck, I don't know. Maybe, if, if they remember and they're listening, yeah, they probably, they probably they probably wouldn't mind uh, outing themselves. Yeah, the, dr- the dread of Graham ringing you. Do you know what I mean? When you knew that it was going to be something. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, oh, Andrew, you never press record. Like, no, but it's just oh, God, uh, I remember like, that, Andrew. Fuck's sake. Yeah. No, well. Go on, what tell wait, that what, story, what one on. was that for? What one? What Andrew, one did I not press record for? Andrew had left severe, and he uh, he uh, took a loan of my gear to go interview Connor for the Mac Life. No, and uh, I, there's another revisionist yeah. history here. No. Please tell Dave your version. Dave Fogarty's tell your version. Get okay, <laughs> yeah. And Dave was on camera, and uh, you were doing the interview upstairs in, in the new SBG at the time, and you yeah. even went as far as to promote this interview that you hadn't done yet. Yeah before uh, which we should yeah, never do which, you, which yeah. i always told you, you should never do and then yeah. you forgot to record the audio yeah That's now in my defense to this situation <laughs> okay and my god dave has dave would still if we if we were to ring dave now he would say the exact same thing but dave's on camera I, you're on you're i'm on just audio. the camera guy i'm i'm the person in front of the camera you i i was i was set in my Lovely routine of the safety blanket, the arms of Graham McDonald being behind the camera. The man that never dropped the ball. The man that looked. The man that helped. Well, well I, I knew you forget everything. I, I, I'd, yeah, ring, I'd ring you. I'd be like, "Do you have your backpack? Do you have this? Do you have that? Do you have that? Do you have batteries? Do you have everything charged?" You'd be like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." You'd arrive. You wouldn't have anything. <laughs> yeah, 
sometimes the, the SD that card. No, it's why I bring everything spare because I knew you'd forget everything. And that's why we work so well. But what happened was, I for some reason, I don't think we were using a Zoom H4n. For some reason, we might have had a H6 at that time. And I can remember like looking at the recorder before I stepped back in front, or, in front of the camera to talk to Connor, and it was flashing red. And because the way Connor interviews would happen would be like, right, let's do it now. Like I don't, I don't want. To, uh, like I'm, I'm bouncing. Let's this is all that. excuses. We're not in the excuses business. We're in the results. We're not. We're in the results business. I understand <laughs> that, Graham. There was no result that night, and Dave was just like, "Oh, well, I was looking at the camera." <laughs> I was just like, "Oh my god, oh my fucking god," and it was just. I can remember. Go on, the, Sean. We did it with the podcast as well a couple of times. Where, I'd, and in fairness, now as someone who has to record it now, I'm not giving out to you, but we did like record like an, a two hour podcast once. I remember, and I was like, "Well, yeah, that, that, we have to do that again." That, that, that didn't. Yeah, come yeah. Out. And then we sat and, and we did it again. <laughs> we did it again. It was but better. That, I, I just always remember the the dread from that that point on because something then happened. Uh, something then happened like two weeks later or like a few weeks after that when we went to New York for the first event that we did the interview with Ariel. And there was this guy who was there doing the video stuff, the guy that I'd never met before. And he had all of this mad equipment. And he said, oh yeah, the mic's working. And I, was, I had a handheld wireless mic and it wasn't connected. And it was a, what I thought was a really good interview with Ariel, but the audio from that interview is just off the onboard mic on the camera. That was like, whatever. And it was like, Jesus, like the first two interviews I've done here and <laughs> there's been a problem audio-wise with both of them. I was like, I'm cursed or something like that. Because I, I do believe just that interview with Connor was the best interview that was ever done with Connor in <laughs> SVG. And it was just a conversation in front of a camera that was recording and a microphone that wasn't picking it up. I was like, while you're talking about your MacLife uh, exertions, do you want to tell us about Brooklyn? <laughs> <laughs> what about it <laughs> what are you talking I'll about longer, I don't <laughs> nothing nothing what ha- what happened I had a nice time in Brooklyn uh, fell sick fell ill couldn't go uh, couldn't go to the event quarantined in, in your hotel room. I, I something I, I seem to remember Graham you were accused of something Oh, Do you I remember was that? from the arena despite being in Dublin. <laughs> despite being in Dublin. There was, a, there was a picture that was posted up around the event of six faces. Six faces of people who I think were all there for the Mayweather like camp. John and Artem and stuff, and then just me. John, like, Artem, Roddy, you, Tiernan Bradley, and somebody else. And out of all of the people that was on that, like... I think only John was in the country. I think John was the only one out of the six people that was actually in in uh, America at that time. And I was just like, I've no, that was a, that was an odd one. Now that's, that's not my story to ever tell. That's, that's Connor's story to tell if, if he ever chooses to tell that story. But that was, um, I regret nothing. <laughs> I regret nothing. <laughs> I did. You sound like Ron Swanson there. I regret nodding the uh, end. Uh, Every everything that I did seemed like it was the right thing to do at the time. And if we want to be, if we want to like really be honest about it, it was worth eight hundred thousand pay per view buys to the company, to the organization. So where's your ten percent? That's what I wanted on. All's all's well that ends well in terms of, like it's still the biggest pay per view that definitely helped it be the biggest pay per view. Oh. I'm sure, Graham. Maybe your phone was hopping at the time. With people are curious about. What was happening? I know you were getting a lot of tweets at the time, um, tagging me in the tweets as well and stuff like that. But that must have been a tough time, yeah. though. You are getting a lot of like 
abuse and fucking shit online. I know all of us have got a, lo- a lot of abuse and shit online, but at that time, I was like, yeah, it was terrible. Like I was, you know, like it was documented as well. I suppose when like when I was leaving and stuff, like I'd been going to talk to someone and I'd continued like talking to someone over those couple of years and stuff, and I was finding it very at that time, like that event in particular. Like if I was to, if I if I'm being honest, like now, which I'm able to be honest about, I was like. I was a bit all over the place. Like I was in my head, I was very like confrontational. I was like, you know, best, you know, right. I felt that I didn't have like, gr- I, I felt like I didn't have Graham because Graham was always very like assertive and calm in terms of knowing like what should be done and how things should be. And like, this was it. So it was kind of like, right, well, you're the guy with the experience now. So you make the calls and you like, how do we cover this and how do we cover that? And I was completely out of my depth in that sense that, just like a level of arrogance that was like thinking like I knew better than what I should have been doing and stuff. A month previously I had won. This is the, this is the thing that kind of like set me off in jiu-jitsu, but a month previously I'd won bronze at the Nogi Europeans at purple belt. And it was the best achievement, best result I'd ever gotten in jiu-jitsu at the time. And then the night of the, the night of the fight, um, Connor had got out of jail and we went and trained in some sort of gym. It might have been Phil Nurse's The Watt, the Thai boxing gym, or he had gotten the place opened up and everyone that was there with him went and did jiu-jitsu and trained. And I got a round with Connor. It's the only time I've ever rolled with him or trained with him. And we had just rolled. And then at the end of the round, he like popped up and he was looking at me. He was like, holy shit. He's like, I knew that you trained, but I didn't know you were any good. (laughs) And I was just like, oh, (laughs) thanks. And we were just chatting away and he was asking me like, like are you like how much are you training and you're doing jujitsu and competition and stuff like that and he was like he had said like i I understand what's happened is put you in a bad situation but like don't worry about it we'll be back like i'll be back fighting eventually and things will blow over and everything will be grand and stuff just keep your head down and go home and train like mad just keep doing this like train away and train away and it was just like to me i the, the period then between if I have a regret from that, it's that like the the three months before, four months before things had really started to pick up in terms of the Mac life of we were going to like Boston and Texas and like I was in America like once a month for like four months straight going to events, getting to cover numbered UFC pay-per-view events for the first time consistently and then the Brooklyn stuff. So there was the gap from Brooklyn to Khabib and I knew going into the Khabib fight, I was like, this is going to be my last fight. I was like, I don't, um, I don't think I'm going to keep doing this afterwards because I'd come home without the obligation to do anything, to travel, to be like a figure, to talk about MMA, just kind of went radio silent on many things and then just trained jiu-jitsu twice a day, full commitment, like only knowing that jiu-jitsu is my only, my potential only option. So like about a month before the Khabib fight, I was like, yeah, this is like when I was going off to Vegas, I think I was out for like five or six weeks before the Khabib fight. I was like, yeah, this is like, this is going to be it now here. Like, I'm going to be done regardless. Like, I was going to step away from it. Do you think, so? like, do you think, uh, so I'm moving from Severe and Me over, over to the Mac Life, like, and, and finishing the podcast. I know you, like, the pod, the pod, if you could have kept the podcast going and gone to Mac Life, it probably would have been the best of all worlds. And I think it would have made, would have made but I feel like, I feel like the podcast, in a weird way, was kind of coming to a natural end. Like, you didn't, I feel like, and you said it to me at the time, but I feel like you didn't have that love for MMA anymore, that you kind of need to talk for, like, an hour and a half. And, like, 
that was getting to me a little bit because I still had the love and then you were showing up late and I was getting frustrated and I was I feel like the two of us were kind of we I think we've been better since we left the podcast go to be honest it was it was driving a bit of a wedge between us I feel like in the last in the last yeah while. no uh, and that's like that's yeah. that's what I ended up then elaborating on because I was at a like I was at a point in my life there where I we had so that was like 2016 so I'd been doing it um for the guts of six years doing it with severe for four and was still like for the two years previously like we didn't elaborate on this earlier but for the two years previously I was still working in the nightclub that I'd been working in the whole way through so like you're getting people talking to you who don't know the situation that are like why are you still here if you're doing that why are you still here if you're doing like if you're going to Vegas to do that like can you not make this your job should you not like try go work somewhere where they'll give you money and I was like no I love the thing that severe MMA is I love that it was something that was built up from from nothing I love that it was something that I helped to like lift up from or help build up with the rest of use from that I was like it's this or nothing and I can remember I think we had tried to get an interview with Connor before the Diaz 2 fight and he had been suggested or advised that he has to keep the interviews on his platform from now on because it could make money and stuff like that and I was like all right so we didn't get the interview before that and that kind of ended a streak of fights where we were interviewing him before he left for America before every fight card and then it was it was Connor who actually Connor contacted me. He rung me on Messenger or something like that, saying like, "Well, are you coming to New York?" And I was like, "Yeah." And he's like, "Do you want to like do this for me for the Mac Life?" And I had already said no to the Mac Life guys at that point because they had asked me to to do it, and I was like, "No, I want to stay with Severe." Um, but it was when he had kind of pitched it to me in the sense that like, "You'll get to go around. I'll send you to these events. I want to do this, that, and the other. You'll get paid for it." I was in such a distressed state in my mind at that time with severe that I felt like I was like pissing away any Like, I don't mean pissing away, but you know what I mean? That like you're having to work loads. I was going out with a girl at the time. I was like having to like use money for that or going up and back to Dublin and different stuff. And it was like, it was just like, it was the, the, the get out of jail free card for my mind. It was, it was the get out of jail free card for my mind, but really like I wasn't doing anything to help my mind. I was just like, oh, well, there's money. That'll solve your problem, won't it? But money doesn't solve your problem. Do you know what I mean? If you've got shit going on in your head, it's not money that fixes that problem. So it's like, if I were to, if you had a gun to my head, like it was the right decision in Terry at the time, but like a complete regret in the sense that like you said patreon then became a thing and like if we ha- like if if patreon had been said to me the day that i was deciding that i wanted to leave severe mma or that i was leaving severe i would have said let's give one full year at this because we can ask people because people liked our rapport so it was like they will support this do you know what i mean or they could give towards this and we could do it that way but that was the like that was the thing for me. I also think that if I want to talk about it from a slight ego perspective, it was very hard to switch to a channel which had already accumulated hundreds and thousands of followers by posting clips like that the great thing that Colin shot of like fucking Cristiano Ronaldo calling into the camp to meet Connor before the Diaz 2 fight. This channel 
has reverted to this now very well. Very, like Oscar has done a serious job since I left and he's taken on a serious amount of work. And I think he's become like one of the more noticeable and known voices of mixed martial arts coverage, live event coverage. But those, um, the channel was already a thing that was based around the inside look to him. And then it just became like a, a version of severe MMA. They know of like event coverage and we are only covering like Belfast. So there's like fighters on the prelims that people didn't care about. And the comments were just all like, this is shit. What's this? I don't care about this. So for me to go from, okay, if I'm being arrogant again, universally majority praised for the work that we were doing with severe MMA because we were the under the underdog punching well above its weight, producing X, Y, and Z content and look at these guys to then producing the same level of content or the same person on a different channel that the majority of people, 95% of the people that followed that channel didn't know who I was or maybe knew of me from seeing Connor interviews, but didn't care about me interviewing Andre Feely at UFC Belfast before he fought, uh, fought Artem Lobov. Do you know? Whereas that was the stuff that put severe MMA in its rightful place, maybe as being a news collecting source and stuff like that. I, think I don't know what does it feel opposite. like from watching it from the outside. I, it, the, I, am I saying the same thing? You're ex- or am it, I right? It's not watching from the outside, but it's what you said to me at the time is exactly what you just said right there. You know, you and you didn't like that. Like you, you said there, they started doing what Severe made. It did. They did in parts like you know the Andrea Feely interview and stuff like that. But they're the polar opposite to what Severe MMA is. Like Severe MMA is trying to do what we feel is the right way at the right uh, time, and that's you know the far clicks coverage. Now, not, and there's nothing wrong with the far clicks coverage, just not what the way we do it. Whereas you know the Mac Life, they do it that way. They're not a media organization. They're Conor McGregor's website who want to push it that way. And you, I feel like you, you liked a bit of that. You know, you liked. The you know if you could interview the mountain or something you know you'd like to do that or something like that but you also liked interviewing you know Darna Garman at Cage Conflict Three or whatever it might be you know and I feel like the enjoyment of that or the you know the, the three comments on a Darna Garman interview and the, the seventy nine uh, views would mean more to you than you know two hundred thousand views of an interview with whoever it might be with all those negative comments and everything like that and i feel like you missed that when you went and it, it was like the the high from something that wouldn't be a high for most people that you you didn't get and you often you know you often kind of said it afterwards as well you missed going to the events the local events and the, the local shows because I, I feel like for you and me, me, you you know you can correct me if i'm wrong here but you loved Irish MMA, local MMA, small-time MMA more than the big MMA, you know, and jiu-jitsu and different things like that. And for that to kind of be ripped away from you a little bit, I feel like, you know, I, I don't think you, I don't think you like that. If I, you know, if I, if I have that right, was that would you say that's right? Yeah, I, I, I loved, I loved being able to travel to the events. It was the greatest um, perk i suppose is the word i would use there in terms of like i remember me and abby having a really good time in boston um i remember going to texas with tommy lakes because he was living in texas at the time and he drove up from austin to to dallas or houston or wherever that texas card was and stuff like that but like there was something that i really missed about the the local side of it because you got to see the story start like i remember like graham when we 
covered uh, James's amateur debut and stuff like that. So for someone like you who in a working capacity has seen James Gallagher's first amateur fight, yet known about James Gallagher for about two years before the first amateur fight, to all that he's achieved now, it's nearly like cycles are repeating in terms of seeing like the career of Connors. Like I've known, say, Liam McCourt since she was a white belt because we've trained together since she was a white belt. So like to kind of see a person's career going arcs like that, I always, that's why I kind of liked uh, so much being at like Decky show, your fighting championships or cage legacy at the weekend, because I think someone like Max Lally is going to be the next, uh, the next, cyclical fighter who's going to go on to have a fantastic career I think someone like Sean O'Bannon is going to go on to have a fantastic pro um, career and it would like I've known Max since he was a kid and stuff like that but it was the first time I'd seen Sean a fight live it was the first time I'd spoken to Sean so it was like there are people who have now been at their fights from the very start and the cycle is going to continue like I never got to interview someone like Ian Gary as an amateur whereas if I was with severe MMA it would have been inevitable to to quote Ian Gary's favorite word, inevitable, that I would have um, interviewed somebody like Ian Gary. And I'm a huge fan of Ian. Like, I, I knew Ian from how often he competed at jiu-jitsu tournaments in Ireland. Like, he was running rampage at Blue Belt through gi and no-gi tournaments as well from because of the influence that, say, Tom King would have on all of the Team KF people on competing through jiu-jitsu. But I don't know. Uh, is the, I suppose that's the that's the thing. I know it was the... It seemed like the right thing for me to do at the time. If it's what's got me closer to jiu-jitsu now, I suppose I like it took me a long time, but now I'm earning money from teaching jiu-jitsu classes. I'm earning money from taking jiu-jitsu privates. Um, I have aspirations to be like a, a black belt coach one day for Team Torres and to help bring a next generation of MMA fighters. Like my longer term goal is I'd love to one day be a coach of someone in the UFC. I'd love to be a corner man of someone in the UFC. I got to train recently with Julia Stolnyarenko, who was over training with Leah uh, for her fight. And I got to roll with like a UFC bantamweight and she's a black belt and we had really good training. Um, I used to always love, we got, me and Dave got to roll with Aljamain Sterling years ago at, in the UFC warm-up room. Got to see Darren Till cut weight before the Cerrone fight and stuff like that. It was just, we used to always sneak into workout rooms to train. Uh, those like that's like I think Oshin Fox is the name that I'll always say to everyone for the next couple of years I think he is I don't think I've seen someone with as fearlessness towards fighting since Connor I honestly think that if he keeps his head down and focuses on his training and is able to like take the correct paths like Oshin Fox is a name who'll be in the UFC in several years someone like Rory Lavery and I'm just friends with all these guys because I train with them so much you know and I, I see their dreams and I see their hopes and it's like Fuck, this is like being an SBG Long Mile Road in 2010. Yeah, well, it definitely you know, feels like you're on a committed. journey with these guys when you kind of watch them train, when they're when they're upcoming and watch them fight an amateur and all that. And it definitely leads to, leads to, to us and the fans feel, kind of feeling like they're on the journey. Uh, we're on the journey with them. But uh, obviously when you left Severe MMA to go to MacLife, uh, we, we, we kind of didn't have an interviewer. So uh, I think I don't think Pete had ever done an on-camera interview or Sean, you hadn't done an, an on-camera interview at that stage, had you? No, I, uh, didn't. I, I didn't start until uh, I did one at Bellator where I wasn't planning to go on camera. I was planning to go behind camera. I did one with um, George Courtney, I think Redzer. was the first nope. one I ever did. Oh, no. yeah, yeah. I did one with Redzer as well. Pete did like three or four, I think, in Team Rhino that time, remember? Niall did yeah, a few. Yeah, I went down with him, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Franz Malambo did a few for us, didn't he, one time? Uh, yeah, I, 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 Daly did a few, yeah. So, But yeah, I think, like, 
when you left Andrew, we were all forced to do different things. Like I, I was forced to become a presenter and present the podcast a completely different role from the role yeah, I had, I had been to do doing. the podcast and yeah. I <laughs> do it at all. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> to do the podcast. I had to learn, like as well. There's something we didn't mention at the start of the podcast. The first like thirty episodes of the podcast, our sound was dreadful. I remember I had a, I bought a new microphone and I did like fifteen episodes of the podcast before I realized my microphone like wasn't turned on to record and I was just recording from my laptop sound. It was like it was dreadful for the first one. But then like I had to find out how to like record the podcast and we did it lots of different ways. And but yeah, and then obviously Graham had to come on the podcast. I started doing interviews and different things, so it did change an awful lot. I feel like you know the uh, the way i started like presenting the podcast and stuff i didn't enjoy it for a long time because i wanted to like i what i was loved doing was giving my opinion and doing things that way but then in, it took a while you know as you you probably know better than anyone but there's a, a very different skill to like presenting a podcast than you know being like the number two or being the guest and or the co-host rather than the host Be different totally yeah it's completely different isn't it MMA podcast, I feel awkward trying to kind of be in the, the presenter because it's just unusual to me because I've been in the other role for so long with you being the kind of presenter. When you're the presenter, Graham, it literally sounds like you're having a conversation with them. Like it's for talk's sake, if I was presenting, maybe I'm adding a few words into a sentence or trying to transition and go to other things. But like with you, it's like you're catching up with a friend and you're just talking to them as if the microphone's not even recording but you're also conscious of saying like that you have to sound like a presenter as well at the same time and it's just kind of like like obviously is your favorite word do you know what i mean so it's like yeah obviously yeah uh, it's like, just filling while i'm thinking probably i don't know <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and it's like and 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 aside from the fact that you always say say cahill's last name pendred yeah you always say pendred it's pendred yeah what, what's my second name graham Sheehan. Yeah, see, he always, for years, Sheehan. he said it in the American Sean Sheehan. And he told so, me what? Sheehan. Sheehan. <laughs> he told no, me what? No, he did it on purpose, though, for Yeah, he told, he's been doing it on purpose for a decade, calling me by the wrong name. It also becomes, it becomes like <laughs> second nature. It becomes a reflex then when you don't even think about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, it does a fair as well. So here, tell me this, Graham. Out of, out of your lineup now, right? So I said that thing about Andy the other day. I think that, I think it's, okay, I don't, I don't, I, this is obviously said with entire love. I think it's very easy now to be able to do content because you're able to, um, you're able to get them on Zoom or StreamYard and, and talk to people like this. But do you find that it's actually, it's harder to maybe get some of those personalities out either of the people who are doing the interviews or the people who you're talking to because they're sitting as if it's a it's a work job meeting and stuff like that yeah well i think i did with the with the 10 years of severe was turn off the cameras graham dade graham dr dying you there graham oh he said the thing that i did after the 10 years of severe yeah and, then, and now he's after dying so We'll keep it going, Andrew. What does Diane mean? What does Diane mean? I don't is know. He, he's just gone out. Will he rejoin the group? Yeah, oh, he's still there, but I just think his internet has gone or something. But yeah, we, we can keep it going anyway. Do you, you present it there, Andrew. Okay. I'm, I'm like, I'm in guest mode at the moment. No? I'm back. Yeah. I'm back. <laughs> no, but there is like, this is, this is something that's been like back in my head for a while in the sense that like, like I was nostalgia lane when like, 
that whole 24 hour period on Twitter when bloody Ariel went back to MMA fighting was just kind of like I've I can't go back in the sense of like what I used to do but I'd love to be able to help some of the lads that are looking to go to like gyms or to like go and like video the next group of fighters that's for the that, Andes or the Eans that yeah. that want to go on or like you that want to go on camera do you yeah. know what i mean in terms like, of like because that's what i started doing a load of through the jiu-jitsu side of things mm-hmm. i was doing like for the gym and filming jiu-jitsu and filming jiu-jitsu matches and filming mma stuff like that's what that was the the clan wars clip the carl mcnally cartwheel wheel elbow it's so funny that i was like when i was coming up and all of this stuff I, I really wanted to try and do everything. And then Graham was like, just do the interviewing. But I would like, mm-hmm. for the entire Sphere MMA catalog for about two and a half years was me filming the matches. Like me filming the matches and then running backstage to interview the person and then coming back out to shoot the next fight and shoot the next fight and shoot the next fight. And if I had I had a second camera, I would have been taking pictures at the time as well to try and get pictures of the stuff as well because Graham had just drilled such a good theory and ethos in to have like, you need the website, you need an article, you need pictures, you need videos. Do you know? And it's like, that's I would have wanted to do everything at the time. But I think what you said there, I think it is too easy for lads these days. As Graham uh, comes back in here, it it is. I, I think it is too easy for for people sometimes. Like you can jump on streamer and put up an interview and literally have it up in five minutes after you do the interview. You know, it's very easy to get lads on. You just message them on Instagram and stuff. Like it was very, it's way harder for you to. But I feel like, like I have taken the role in Severe over the last while of trying to help out the likes of Andy and Ian and, and the other lads coming through. Harry Powell is fantastic. I know he's a big fan of yours, but the podcast we do with, with speakers corner over there, I it's, honestly, it might be the favorite thing I've ever done in MMA. I, I absolutely love doing them. And like, that next, the next level of severe may come through. I know this is a ten years of severe may, but the last six months of severe may is, I think it's like the earlier days of severe may. But I think the talent now is is even better. To be honest, these these lads coming through are are fantastic. Ian works so hard and he's improved so much over the last while. I think Harry is great. Andy is is very good at what he does. I feel like Andy is a bit of the Andrew McGahan of this group. He he needs, you know, he needs the right head in his shoulders. And when he has that right head in his shoulders, he's he's the most talented of all of them. But um yeah, I'm I'm really excited about the the group coming through now. But like I feel like, you know, them talking to me or Graham or you or Niall or whoever it might be and getting advice from is something they need to do because like we have been on that fucking tough road and you, you the two of you have been there longer than me doing it but fucking trying to talk to people and trying to cover events and trying to talk shit about it stuff for a long long time it gives you that experience and it gives you a know-how what to say and what to do and how to cover MMA and I feel like Severe May have done a good job of that over here and Graham are you still there will we will we wrap this up or you what's the crack with you yeah I'm back I think it definitely it definitely you know you have to put in the the hard yards in MMA a lot of people come in and want to just write for you know get paid to write straight away and they think their opinion should be respected but you gotta build yourself and I think we, we were good at kind of doing that over the years and as you mentioned with the new group we kind of you know talk to them and kind of build their name slowly and then make their opinion valuable to people because if you just come and you've been covering MMA for six weeks and nobody wants to listen to your podcast. Nobody wants to hear what you have to say because they don't know you. They don't They don't respect your opinion because you haven't earned it. Like, you know what I mean? So I think... Oh, I can't... What? I can't remember who it was, Graham, but you used to always have a great thing. Like, that's... You've been saying that for years, but you used to say something like, who wakes up in the morning and thinks, oh, I wonder what such and such thinks about this? You know, I can't remember what it was. <laughs> That's the most but it was Graham all, saying of all time. Anyway. Yeah, <laughs> I don't remember this. 
no you're it was about like the like i was talking about the podcast and it was like saying like okay like you've built up a reputation where people want to hear about your opinion I but know. let's just use like i know who it is. jim white <laughs> you know let's just use jim white okay, sky sports yeah. is like does anyone wake name up in the morning name and, yeah name him sean I, no i don't want i don't i feel bad about naming him type it in the private chat okay and i'll I will, confirm yeah. if on, it's true or not continue i can't so, remember his second uh, name like who wakes up and and wants to know what Jim White's opinion is about fucking UFC on Fuel 24. Like nobody, like there are, there's reasons, like you build up a reputation and you build up the reputation through doing things that like on a lower end or, or whatever like that. Did you WhatsApp me that or put it in this chat here? It's in the chat here. I don't know. I, oh, is it in comments? Yeah, it's in the comments maybe, yeah. Yeah, maybe. I, anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It might have been, do you I know what I mean? But him, it's yeah. like, that's, that's a good, uh, like, who cares about what your opinion on that is? Sean, people now care about what your opinion on a scorecard is because you've shown to the fucking world how meticulously you've scored, you covered the rule set, you've had a UFC commentator sound you out on Twitter to ask you personally, what did, how did you score that fight and why did you score it that way? You've probably unintentionally had Michael Bisbing watch your video on the scoring criteria. And then I think actually, like just on that, Sean has actually brought a lot of attention and a lot of learning to the the, uh, judging side of MMA. More than anyone in in MMA has ever done. It's I don't even know if I said that to you before, we'll but fair play to you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I appreciate it. Fair play to you. But he's, he's like, like Graham, you would have been a state, like you were friends with Ben Cartledge for years and you would have discussed like privately all this stuff about judging and, and the, the well, not really, and to be honest, stuff. not really. Sean was the kind of no. one who, who kind of, you know, just kind of decided he was going to kind of <laughs> try and sort this out because it was the commentary and the reactions were just so terrible. Like robbery was being called all the time and people just didn't really understand. So Sean just kind of took it upon himself to to make a uh, pretty uh, explanatory video and to kind of trumpet it on, on Twitter. Yeah, that's, fa- fo- faux outrage that, that, uh, around uh, robberies. Yeah, but that's what Severe May is, isn't it? Like, because I messaged Mark Romandi before, and I'm sure he won't mind me saying it, and he did great work on this before, but he, he's kind of said to me, because, because he said something at one time and I made like a smart comment and he messaged me back and there's no problem. I've no beef from ranting. We made it up immediately. But um, I, I remember he said like, well, I can't really cover that anymore because I have editors and things like that. And it's like, I, I do it when I can, but I can't do it week in, week out. Severe May can do it week in, week out. And I can do it week in, week out. And if I want to have a 10 minute rant at the start of the Severe May podcast every week, if I want to send 100 tweets every week about judging, I can fucking do it. And that's, you know, Ariel calls himself <laughs> independent Helwani. He did enough shit about independence when it comes to independent Johnny. That's what the fucking real independence is. That I can spend two or three years on a subject like this, get every single fucking bit of knowledge and try to get it out there. And I won't stand back and I won't fucking not admit that, that I, I've tried to do that. Um, and it's helped a little bit. But uh, yeah, I feel like that's the beauty of somewhere like Severe MMA. Like, that's the beauty of somewhere who, like you mentioned Ian Gary, you would have uh, interviewed him as an amateur. I did interview him as an amateur, you know? I interviewed him before his his pro debut. Max Lally, you mentioned him. Harry interviewed him as an amateur the other day. Sean yeah. Abanon as an amateur. And, and Harry knew, Harry has seen Max compete as a teenager. Yeah. Harry knows Max from the junior jiu-jitsu championships in the UK because Harry's keen on jiu-jitsu and stuff like that. Would have known and heard of this lad because they Max came up alongside a couple of top UK prospects as well who are now doing really well in jiu-jitsu. So it's like 
those roots, like you can't take those for granted, you know, like and how important they're going to be in the long run. And about you know how the fighters shouldn't take us for fucking it. granted either because... No, I'm, but they don't. They don't. Yeah, but they shouldn't. I don't think they do. They shouldn't. I know, I think they do at times. And uh, no, there was a certain fighter on Twitter the other day saying, oh, why would I give you a fucking fiver? Well, we've done a lot for you over the fucking years, you know? And I, I, I uh, it, it, you know... <laughs> In fairness, though, like, and not me, the two of you way more than fucking me, but, yeah, I, I don't know, um, I, I think Severe May has done a lot for very little, and that's, not me, literally not me, but you, Andy, at the moment, uh, Ian, and, and Harry and all the lads, they do a lot, and I think the, the, the people in MMA in Ireland should fucking appreciate them, because Ian Gary, when he was in Cage Warriors, couldn't get on the big shows. You know, he couldn't get on those big shows until he was maybe the champion or until he was in the UFC. But you know, he could get on the Severe and May podcast. And you know who knew him because of the Severe and May podcast? Fucking everyone. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know why we did a bit of a rant there in, in this. Anyway, okay. take it off me again. So, if, 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 if I was going to do an Andrew McGahan side rant about anything, and this is with the most amount of love to these people because they're trying. They're trying to raise awareness of the sport. Maybe they're doing it like what I did when I was younger. They're trying to get in for free. They want to just go to MMA. They want to just see the fights. But severe MMA is legitimate and legitimized in the fact that Graham has always prioritized having an archive, having a website, having a landing page, having articles with images and a stock library and stuff like that, whether he got them off the internet at a time or we got pictures from David events before and different stuff like that. Now all you need is an Instagram page because Instagram is the most popular medium of social media at the moment. So you can like, don't get me wrong, wholesome chats can be created this way. John Lally, Max's dad has a really nice podcast where he'll talk to amateur fighters and he'll get them in his van and he's a purple belt in jiu-jitsu. He knows, he talks to them more about life and, and stuff like that, which I think is good. But anything else, it's just like, uh, like say the energized lads have a YouTube page, but the energized lads would increase their stock by having a website, by having articles that link back to those things because the, le the legitimacy of having a URL and a website in my mind, anyway, maybe the world has changed and I'm wrong about that. I'd be interested in knowing what Graham thinks of the influx of interviewers and, and content creators in the sport, because there's so many people that actually go to these domestic shows now that all they have to do is like Graham, I know iPhones are much better now, but like think of the amount of time and effort that me or you would have spent editing and exporting 15 fight amateur cards just to have the catalog on the severe YouTube at the time. We're Whereas getting, now trying to get them up as quick as possible. Yeah. We, yeah. We, yeah. Driving the, back from Belfast or whatever, fucking editing in, in the, the car, morning, like, trying to edit them and trying to listen to the, the commentator. Sometimes you wouldn't know who the fighters are if they're amateurs. Listen to the commentator, see you, whose name he's announcing, and all you can hear is, <laughs> Oh my God, who the fuck Noel is Noel gave off to me about that the other day, actually. <laughs> Noel brought that up to me the other day at a cage legacy. He was like, I remember you said I was terrible on the Severe MMA podcast. Sean was saying that I was okay. You said I was terrible. And I was like, I did, Noel, I'm sorry. And I was like, but now I'll admit it was the speakers. Because Noel, you can understand and hear Noel now. But maybe at the start, he wasn't as, uh, he wasn't as like clear. He was very like, as you're doing there, like that was the old days of the PA systems, Graham. Um, Brett Freeman was always very understood, I have to say, back in the day. And we were treated to Joe A. Martinez. At Hollywood. The, uh, at the Hollywood Brett Freeman. And then we were treated to uh, Joe Martinez ever, at Cage, Cage Warriors for a long time. Let me tell you the story about Joe Martinez. 
I, I saw no, Joe, Mar- Joe Martinez followed me on Twitter, right? I was backstage at a Cage Warriors event that he was calling, and I was talking away to him, maybe talking to him for five minutes. Lovely lad. You know, he was like, oh, very nice to meet you. Looking forward to coming back, coming back to Ireland again. I went home, or I went to a hotel or wherever I was that night, looked at my phone, and Joe Martinez had unfollowed me. I'm like, what? You, so you, you, you followed me before you met me. Then you met me and immediately unfollowed me. It's like, all right, Joe, fair enough. Fair play to him. Well, maybe he tried to but, follow you and didn't realize he'd already followed you. Yeah, maybe. I'll take that. And, unfollowed like, you and he was too embarrassed about it. Yeah, man. Or he's like, what a bollocks this but, lad is. <laughs> Graham, if you could give them free advice. Just give them free advice about the importance of having a directory, a catalog, a website. Before you do that, though, dim lads are a little bit different. Like, I, I like what the energized lads do, but they tell you themselves they're oh, no, not media. I, like, they're yeah, yeah. Crack, I, think, I think that they're good, but there's uh, there is others that are part like every every month. There's a different uh, MMA Ireland yeah. content related account that's doing stuff and it's not to be bad on them. You have to start somewhere. It, it's just how I was how I was reared how I was brought up how I was told was legit is that like you cut your teeth in a bit of writing you do a bit of audio you do a bit of video it's not just um, like you've but probably these seen people it want Sean. to be like social media celebrities or whatever or influencers or whatever they call it I don't think I don't even see any of these people I just go to whoever like I respect or whatever websites or whatever that I I want to go to I don't really see much of this stuff but I think they're going for a different thing than being like a media member they're, they're just going for like clout or being be, being following instagram maybe like person yeah yeah in, instagram followings can get you money in these days you know what i mean this day and age and stuff now i know but it's like uh that's probably the one if i if just i know i'm not i know you have started doing it you realize it's a great idea you realize it's important uh carl o'brien yeah uh, you've met carl before graham the young guy who was like involved with the Mac life he's obviously older now but like one of the most intelligent people that I've ever met had like a company when he was still in college had employees it was him that started the trend of posting to social media of images with quotes on it to the point that people from BT Sport sounded me out to ask who is this person and then BT Sport started copying or not copying but using the same type of format of pictures and and thing <laughs> Robin Bass. Oh well yeah yeah no we've listen BT are doing a good job now but they've done oh they've crossed a few lines in the past but like that's that's a that's a very now popular medium of content you know someone says something in an interview we have a stock image of them let's put the best quote on it let's put it on social media people go mad do you know like i think that the world has evolved and to have uh, outside perspectives of people that understand how the social content game works is very like uh, Eric Jackman, New York Rick has obviously made gold anywhere that he's gone. They you know made ESPN so influential is back now at MMA fighting. In my opinion, you can maybe even notice a difference in MMA fighting social content in the last uh, month and a half alone and since he's been back in terms of the images and the style and the layout. So I just think it's about trying to stay ahead of the game. And if you're only going to try and do one thing, like say Instagram. Well, if you realize what's at the top of the game, if you're not doing something different than the top of the game, then you're just, you're not really going to gain momentum. I think what the energized lads do differently is that they'll have like those type of like, when like I know it's been done in boxing for years, but like the two people against each other on a chat. But is that nearly 
I don't mean cheapened, but is it cheapened by the fact that they're all on Zoom? So it's all like just four images. Whereas like when Ariel did the Jake Paul and Woodley thing before the last fight, that was riveting. Like I thought that was seriously entertaining when they were just sitting across each other from the table. I was like, my God. But the thought of listening to the same thing with four people in a box, I'm just kind of like, uh, like, no, doesn't appeal to me to, to listen, I suppose, or to listen to all of it. Am I wrong? I don't know. Well, we've gone an hour and nearly an hour and 45 minutes. As it should have. As it should have. Most of these have gone like, what, an hour? So we've we've, we've shied it on long enough, I think. (laughs) Thanks for coming back, Andrew, to this is your first Severe MMA podcast in a long time. And obviously, Sean. No, it's not, I don't think. Sean had me on recently. No, we must do more often. We've done. Yeah. Yeah, no, we've done a couple. Mm -hmm, Like, that's Graham. You got cut off earlier on, but like, I think you need to start. We're at the level now where we can do it. Patreon I special asked you to do it for month. years. No, no, no. I asked you to do this for years. Wow. I just would have been one of my fondest memories training with Neil Seary the week of UFC. Send me to Jim's Graham. Let me roll with people. Let me roll with people. We'll video it. Roll around, yeah. <laughs> sure you can go and hey. stick it on your Instagram be one of these one no, of these no, no. Uh, influence I'm not an cloud, Instagram cloud chasers. It's my it's You're it's young, my, it's you're my, you're not like me and Sean, we're old school. No, no, I'm not a that's okay. If if we finish on this, that's probably part of the reason that drew me away from it the most. I was like this whole thing with like attention and influence on the internet and so many people knowing about you and getting messages from people all around the world and just being like, oh, I watch you from this place. I watch you from this place. I still keep in contact with specific people that had like followed me on the way up and I was friendly enough with and chatted back and forth with, but kind of having a forward sight view on how the world was going and how like influencer lifestyle and culture and stuff like that, that made like, I think it's fair to say that considering some of the interviews that I did and some of the views that are on some of the interviews, I terribly promoted myself as a as an individual or as a character in terms of trying to get more followers, more attention, more work, more whatever. Like that was something that I, I didn't do this for that reason. You don't go to Cage Contender 5 with an audio recorder because you want to get attention. You do it because you want to find out more. So when the things started to change, it started to change for me. That's what John kind of alluded to earlier on about not being able to talk to the Darren O'Gormans of the world at local events and stuff like that. You're you're not doing it for the, oh, here, look look at me, like this is what I'm doing. You do it for the... I did. That's all, right? That's almost no? why I did it. I, all right, okay. Yeah, we, people we started for the love of the game. <laughs> <laughs> you started for the love of the game and continue to want to do something for the love of the game, for the development of the sport, for the awareness of the sport in the country, for the, like, I, I'm finishing on this, but I had a conversation with a father only today about a young kid who's only 13 that's been training for a couple of years that is in his head. I want to go I want to get to the UFC, dad. Like, I, I love training. I want to, like, just give this everything. Like, Sergey has a load of lads that are under the age of 15, 16 that are going uh, to do the same thing. There's a wee young fella called Alex who's meant to fight on Cage Legacy last weekend. I trained with him two months ago. He's one of the best jiu-jitsu people I've trained with in a long time, potential-wise. Those, those lads like you want to produce content and talk in a way that someone hears this and believes that they can go and do it so that their parents can listen to it and think that, Oh yeah, there's an outlet. I can go on and do this. They don't have the foresight of having a John Kavanaugh approach, James Gallagher's mother and father at 13 oh, and say, this I, kid I can be a world champion. Say, I was just about to say shout they out know, to Dorian Gallagher, a legend. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, to say like this kid can be a world champion, but now they have to realize that there is a path. There's already been a path formed. There's a new path being walked by Ian Gary and anyone else who's coming behind him. Like, this is a viable thing. And it's the same if you're doing the media stuff. It's the same if you're doing the the fighting stuff. There is careers in this now. There is careers in this now. And if a person believes in it enough and keeps doing it, then I think they'll get there. So you can cut me off now, Graham. Yeah. So we've come. You don't a long have way. to speak to me for years. You don't have to speak to me for years again. I still hear from Sean. I don't hear from Graham. I could Graham go back got to married. You. Graham's loved up. Graham's. We're Graham's all we're married. all loved up. No, we're all loved up. Sure. Well, that's fair enough. We are, but I, like my God, uh, and I'll apologize to your face and have it on the record, Graham. I know I broke your heart. I know November 2016 <laughs> was a hard... No, 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 Sean, I've apologized to you already. <laughs> Graham, it, st- it doesn't still keep me up at night, but I have had many regretful fucking moments in my life thinking, fuck, like I should have trusted Graham for longer. I And it's not that I stopped trusting you, but you know what I'm trying to say to you here. Uh, but you you, you would have made zero money probably, so you, you probably would have just become <laughs> more bitter and bitter and, and hated me well, by the end, so it's probably better if, off. <laughs> no, no, no. If we want to be honest about that, it did all work out in the end in the terms of like what you've gone on to do job-wise and work-wise and um, around Severe and stuff like that. The I, I made the wrong decision of trying to benefit me and me alone for wanting to be the, the person to continue getting the one-on-one whatever's with Connor. Now the full circle has happened happened and before the Cerrone fight you were in the situation to be able to get Sean on the blower and say here talking to Connor. The exact same way you'd ring me 10 Aloni. minutes before I was meant to be in work and I'd have to and I'd have to tell my manager here I'm away. I have to go and talk to Connor McGregor he's flying to Vegas in the morning. So it's like it right, would, you know, as 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 we always say in the podcast, and as Luca Jelkic said to me, it's easy to be the the what is it? It's easy to be the, the, the general after the battle. So <laughs> it's yeah. it's easy with hindsight, but uh, yeah, we'll end it there, lads. Thanks, thanks a million for coming thanks, on, Andrew. and uh, thanks for everything Bye. over the years, lads. Bye, Graham, thanks. Can we end it like second captains? Thanks, thanks, Graham. Thanks, Andrew. Oh no, he's just cut you out. I, I'm still here. No, he's no just... okay. Now say it. Now thanks, do your Sean, second thanks, captain. Andrew. Thanks, Graham. Thanks, Sean. No, no, bye. Oh, sorry. Bye, Sean. Bye, Owen. Oh, bye, Owen. <laughs> bye, Karen. Bye, Andrew. Bye, Graham. <laughs> bye, Sean. Bye, Andrew. <laughs>